You want to know what liberating is, Trey? Yeah. Going up to visit your brother at some point in the middle of his career when he's very popular, getting a couple of libations with your buddy, taking <laughs> one of his jerseys and putting it on and walking down the street acting like I'm taking <laughs> carpet. <laughs> Hey everybody, what's up? Trey Wingo here. Welcome into another episode of Half Forgotten History. Glad you're with us. You know, the NFL is sort of littered with brothers that have played at a very high level. Obviously, Peyton and Eli come to mind. Right now, the Diggs brothers, Stefan and Trayvon, are playing very well for their respective teams. You've had the Fuller family, a bunch of them play defensive backs. Bruce and Clay Matthews, legendary brothers of an incredible first family of football. But what about twins? You have the McCordy brothers, sure. You have the Griffin brothers that have played. But perhaps no better set of twin brothers to play in the NFL than the Barbers, Tiki and Rondé. Uh, I recently got a chance to sit down with both of them, and let's just say the competitive spirit between these two started very, very early. All right, let's start off with an easy question for you guys, like basic piece of cake. Best athlete ever from Cave Springs High School is? <laughs> Rondé. Uh, maybe J.J. Redick. No, uh, somebody that could hit spot up jumpers is a better athlete than a guy that was a national champion in hurdles. Dude, JJ Reddick got jacked. He got jacked at the end of his career. He had tats. Looked like a badass man. He's pretty. He's pretty much badass. But yeah, he's clearly the third best athlete out of Case Spring High. So who? Okay, so who's one? Me. Come on. I was faster. I was stronger. More storied. More storied. I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna need a detailed explanation of what that means. More storied. I think storied means he was fortunate enough to get drafted by the New York Giants and not the Tampa. <laughs> by the way, just just, just so people know, like the the, the brother thing here, because uh, I, you know, before I had your number on, I had Tiki's, and I was texting Tiki and said, "Hey, we'd love to get you on." He goes. This is a quote here from Tiki about you. He says, it's all on my Hall of Fame bound, I only golf and life brother. I'll let you know next week. <laughs> so is that an accurate assessment of, of your life as we know it now? One of those two statements is very true. The other one hopefully will be true sometime sooner rather than later. But yeah, that's uh, that's that's me every day. But I mean, I'm busy. I do other stuff. I'm I'm, I'm general chairman of the Valspar Championship. I, I, I oh, I, I, I can touch you. You're like steaming But it's at least working. Honorary <laughs> titles are the best titles because you decide when you want to do anything. When did you guys think, like maybe growing up, did you think, hey, we might both have a chance to to do this and and play on a on the highest level of football? <laughs> Growing up, yeah. <laughs> it didn't happen for me until my third year in college. <laughs> <laughs> I would say growing up, I don't even know if that was necessarily a, a goal or a dream, Trey. It we wasn't were, my dream. Yeah, we were we were into other things, and sport was just something else that we did. Uh, I to, to answer the question, pretty, uh, it wasn't even really growing up. We were in college when I kind of figured. Uh, had success in high school. We both had success in high school. I was ACC Rookie of the Year my second year because I was redshirted. Um, and then I was all AC my second year. So in my third year, I was like, you know what? It's probably pretty certain that I can play on the next level. But it wasn't like a realization. It was just kind of uh, kept getting better and, and better. Because I remember the first time I went to college, the first day we stepped on the campus of Virginia, Man, I looked at some of these dudes, and we came from a small high school. K-Spring High School is a pretty small high school, lower classification. 
And we walked into Virginia and I was like, I, I, I don't, I can't play with these guys. These guys are so much bigger than anybody that we, that we came against in, in high school. But, you know, as you, as you continue to get better and you just realize that, you know, maybe your skill and size and all that thing works to your advantage. Yeah. It, it, it became a realization. Rondé has been gone for too long from, from university of Virginia, 25 year anniversary coming up here in a little bit. And we call it grounds, not campus, by the way. Uh, my, 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 my dream, Trey, was to be an astronaut. Really? I, I, you know, we're Challenger kids. So no, 86, I, the Challenger yeah. explodes. We're 11 years old. And the world was taking a fascination and everything that, that happened there. And every kid started going to space camps. But we couldn't afford to go to space camp. So my dream was, all right, if I can't go to space camps, I just want to be an astronaut then. So my mom would tell me, you got to make straight A's. So I made straight A's and, uh, you know, was valedictorian, one of my valedictorians of the high school and go to UVA and I study engineering because I want to get in the nuclear engineering program and, and ultimately try to become an astronaut. And then business and the business school and football got in the way. And that's kind of when I realized maybe I could be good at this thing, but it didn't happen. And I meant, I mean, I was not joking. It didn't happen until my third year at UVA. So, so literally, if I'm, if I'm reading this correctly, you wanted to be a rocket scientist as much as anything else. I did. Yeah. I did. And then I wanted to be an internet mogul. And I, cause think about when we were in college, it was 1993 to 1997. The internet boom was just about to happen. And I'm always wondering, um, you know, what would have happened if I had studied uh, or stayed studying database design and management, which is what I did in college. This was my, that's what my degree is in, um, instead of playing football. You know, would I have been an internet billionaire? Who knows? You, you might have been Mark Cuban. Like, like you might like Mark Cuban. I know, right? seriously. You would, have, you would have definitely been something. By the way, my daughter did go to space camp. <laughs> and now she's at the and now she's at the University of Chicago trying to be an astronaut. <laughs> is, that, is that, she's trying to be that really? No, 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 she's, she's not, not going to be an astronaut. She's, she's studying computer science. It's computer science is data, uh, media arts and design. And she's a writer. She's a creative writer. But yeah, she did go to space camp. Um, I, I, I can't say that I had that track, Trey. Yeah. I, I yeah. never thought about being an astronaut. <laughs> so if I only would have known, if I would have known what I know now, then. I could have easily started broadcast.com. Easily. Oh, well, it's like Very it's easy. like the old line, wise youth wasted on the young, right? We figured all That's out right. after after we're through the sweet spot when we really could have benefited from it. So <laughs> I know it. if I it know was it. if it was other things that you guys were doing when you were younger, when did you start getting really competitive? Because brothers are always competitive and twins have got to be sort of even more competitive, right? What, when did you guys start having the athletic competitions amongst yourselves? Like, oh, he did this, I'm going to do that. That's been forever, Trey. That's forever. And honestly, that's probably why we did make it, but not realize that there was something bigger out there. Because, you know, when we were little kids up at my grandmother's house in Eastfield, Virginia, playing baseball against a tree, right? Because there was nobody else to play with. It, it was, right? we were competitive. Like somebody had to win. It was never like, oh, good game, you know, good job. It was always fighting to see who could, who could uh, come out victorious. And so once we got a little bit older, probably... Um, I want to say 12 or 14, and we started wrestling because we didn't make the basketball teams. That's when the competition became like, all right, we're the same size. Do you want to fight? Do you want to you want to wrestle me, or do you want to go down a weight? <laughs> and so Rondé went down uh, 10 pounds of weight class to 126, I think it was. No, uh, no. And, 
come on. I was like 112. 112? <laughs> it was tiny. It's little. It's little. Yeah, this is like our freshman year. He's just a little guy. <laughs> and then, uh, and so we, we, we would compete against each other's successes. Like, if I would win a match, then Ronnie would win a match. If I got in trouble, because this actually happened by slapping a kid in the middle of the match, Ronnie got kicked out of the <laughs> his, I mean, it was, it was, I don't know. We were just always competitive, but not directly against each other because we would always do different things. He'd go down a weight class. He played defense. I played offense. Uh, he ran hurdles. I was a long jumper. Um, it was just really against each other's successes. I, I refused to fail if my brother was successful. And I think the same thing happened the other way around. It, it pushed you guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it- and to add, you know, uh, add uh, some more color to that, to the to those comments. One of us was always more successful, and it's the one that's on top of this this, <laughs> this four-way box here. I was Tiki. He's not lying. Tiki was always better at everything else, right? He's already said it. There's no way I was going to be smarter than him. You can't can't beat the valedictorian. He just he was just smarter than me. I took one I took one AP class with him. I think it was AP biology. It was Dr. Ross's class, wasn't it? That's right, Dr. Ross. And, she was uh, the best. She's my favorite teacher ever. And and uh, I get I get in this class and I'm like I can I can hang. Dude, I'm two weeks in Trey. I'm like I gotta get out of this swimming. There's definitely one thing that I have not, and that is smarter than Tiki. However, the athletic prowess, it, was, it definitely fell on, uh, on my shoulder. Well, you're it, older by seven minutes, right? You're the older brother by seven minutes. That, that's one way to look at it. But the, the things that I did at, in, in sport, like I hurdled, right? We both wrestled, but I hurdled. I started hurdling when I was in seventh grade, maybe sixth grade. And Tiki was a long jumper. He was, he, I couldn't outrun him. So it was like, I'm not going to be a, a sprinter. I'm not going to run the 100 because I'm going to finish second every time. <laughs> so I went, went started hurdling, and I became the best hurdler in our area uh, by the time I was in, in ninth grade. In 10th grade, I go to high school, and I went state as a, as a sophomore, my first year in high school. And it was, you know, it was, it, what was my success better than his success? Not necessarily, but for 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 accomplishment wise, I actually ended up doing doing a lot more than Tiki, uh, and it worked out that way all the way through our career. I mean, he retired six years before me. I made a couple more Pro Bowls. I won a Super Bowl. He didn't of this. <laughs> See how he casually. Uh, I was about to say, just he there. just sprinkled that into the conversation. Just want to throw that in there, yeah. just to stir. Right, what the, what the hell can I say? Yeah. What, what can what can I say? Yeah. Uh, no, you're wrong. Yeah. Actually, no, you're not, you're not wrong. So what yeah. can I say? Yeah. I just kind of accept it, Trey. Well, you know, he accepted the fact that you know he'll never have your brains. So I mean, this is what That's this right. is what you do. All right. So was there a conscious decision for both you guys to? Did you guys both really want to go to the same university, or did it just work out that way? Yeah, that was a non non starter. If we weren't both being recruited by ex ex college, Clemson, Michigan, North Carolina, Virginia, obviously where we went, they 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 weren't even in the conversation. Yeah, it was easy. To, it was easy to do that. To, I mean, we. So, so here's the thing. I mean, you wouldn't know it now, Trey, because what I do for a living, um, you know, on WFAN locally and been in media really since my second year in in New York, uh, but we were really shy growing up. Like if we didn't know you, we would we wouldn't have a conversation with you. If I didn't know you, I wouldn't talk to you and I wouldn't look at you. It was just I don't know. I I I tend to gravitate toward my my brother instead of trying to have a conversation with anybody else. And so when college came around, I don't want to say I was we were terrified, but it was just no way I was going to go to college if I had the choice without my without my brother. And to be honest, it was the greatest thing that happened to us because when we get on grounds at UVA, we're there early because of football and there's nobody 
like literally nobody else in our dorm. We stayed in the old dorms. They don't have football dorms. So it wasn't like, oh, all the football players, you're in the old dorms where you're going to be for your entire first year. And there's nobody on our floor <laughs> except for me and Rondé. Uh, and actually our RA, Chip Roy, who is now a congressman down in down in Texas. Shout out but, to Chip, the RA. Let's go. Shout out to Chip. Uh, but it, it was it was it was necessary for us to be together when we when I think about it in retrospect. How much did that benefit you, Rhonda? Well, so he, he failed to mention that, you know, that part of that shyness was like an inability to articulate like to other people. Like we we had this twin speak. My mom talks about it all the time. And it was essentially just like mumbling under your breath and like inferring what we were, what I was thinking. He was probably thinking the same thing. There's only one of our friends named Chris Vaughn, uh, who we grew up with, who could understand it because <laughs> he he, we were around him so much. So he, so he would, he would be in the, uh, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think a lot of people, a lot of people looked at us like sideways, like these are the two smart kids that are really good athletes that are just mumbling under their breath and speaking a language that only the two of them know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. But, but the truth of the matter is that, yeah, I, I needed a comfort blanket, right? I need, I needed, uh, I mean, we shared the same room until we were second year in college. Um, um, and before we, and we, and, and, and at that, we lived in this, in the same, same apartment, just, a, just different rooms. So, um, it, it was, it was definitely easier for me to, um, be comfortable in, in new environments when he was around, which be honest with you, when we were 21 years old and we get drafted to Tampa and New York, you know, uh, you know, uh, respectively, it's a culture shock. It's like, I'm getting in my car and heading 14 hours South. And he's going up to New York and it's the first time that we've never, uh, you know, been in the same domicile. And it's, it was it was a little surreal, to be honest with you. But it, 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 I realized how much I had relied on Tiki all these years to to have, you know, to have, uh, you know, the feeling of acceptance and safety. Somebody could always beat, uh, beat uh, my ideas off of. Um, and when he was gone, it was like, well, I, I guess I got to get a cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> Which back then was a really huge thing and didn't really have all the apps that we have on there today. Um, you mentioned the draft yeah, right. and, and you guys, you know, somebody went in the second round, somebody went in the third round. Was there a family <laughs> competition about who was going to be drafted no. first? Actually, no. no, no, it was pretty clear. I mean, I was, I was projected anywhere between the late first to um you know early third and you know ronde kind of got a raw deal because he left school early and back then if you left school early that something must have been wrong right like why are you why are you leaving school? you were the first to leave va with the if i'm not correct the first to leave uva with the year of eligibility left right I think I was. And I, I remember George Welsh at the time, I told him, you know, I'd already graduated. I graduated from the com from the business school as well, from the McIntyre School of Commerce with Tiki. So I was done. All my all my other two roommates were done. They were fourth years too and leaving. And I was just going to have to stay on campus with my girlfriend who I was ready to break up with anyway. So <laughs> I, I decided, you know. Inspiration comes in many forms. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. I had been all ACC three times. I had been an All-American. There was really nothing else for me to do. So um, I decided I decided to leave. And I remember going and telling George. And George, <laughs> George MF'd me for about 30 minutes, man. Yeah. <laughs> George like, You're Welsh. not ready. You're not 
Monday? Yeah. I'm like, I'm ready, coach. I'm like, <laughs> but but I, I, did, I didn't have this certainty. Tiki was a Heisman candidate his his last year. You know, I was the undersized, you know, all ACC DB uh, who may or may not have been been good. But th- th- there was enough teams that uh, had shown interest in, in me that I, I thought it was a good idea, and ultimately it was the right the right choice for me. But yeah, it was uh, it was pretty pretty unique for me to forego my fifth year, my senior year. Uh, football year and come out. So, but I, but I, I would do it all over again. I definitely want to go back. Yeah. All right. This seems like a perfect place to take our first break because we'll talk after the break in this episode of Half Forgotten History about suddenly two different paths and how you guys stayed in touch and and how your careers played out in the NFL. Stay with us. We're coming right back with Tiki and Rondé Barber. Half Forgotten History. So it's championship week, which as we all know means March is about to get a little madder. Let's jump into the odds with Trey's Trends, brought to you by Caesar Sportsbook, which allows you to get in on all the action with odds available for every game, as well as future odds for two dozen men's conference tournament championships. Sure to draw plenty of attention this week, obviously, is the ACC championship, the last one for Duke head coach Mike Krzyzewski. The Blue Devils, as you might expect, are the overwhelming favorites to win the ACC tourney at minus 125, something they have done 15 times under Coach K, most recently in 2019. Now, North Carolina, which spoiled Coach K's Cameron farewell on Saturday, has the second lowest odds at plus 550. Behind the Tar Heels are Virginia Tech at 900, and then Notre Dame and Wake Forest at plus 1,000. But something to consider here, losing the conference tournament isn't necessarily a bad thing in the long run. Just one conference tournament champion has emerged as the national champ in the previous seven years. That would be Villanova back in 2018. In fact, the last two national champs, Baylor in 2021 and Virginia in 2019, lost in the semifinals of their respective conference tournaments. Find more of Trey's Trends, of course you know where, at Caesar Sports on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. All right, back with the Barbers, Tiki and Rondé and Half Forgotten History. So, like you said, first time you guys sort of in a different domicile, you head south, Rondé to Tampa, Tiki, you head to New York. Let's start with you. What was your first, Tiki, your your initial foray into New York? What were you thinking? What was it like? So, I was scared as hell. I mean, we're, <laughs> we're still Southern boys. Yeah. And I had been to New York one other time. I mean, I think I think we were really little. We were with my uncle who was from Yonkers, uh, but that wasn't New York City. Uh, when my girlfriend, who eventually became my my wife, my first wife, and I were dating in college, we went up to see her sister who lived on the Upper East Side. And it was cool, but like cabs didn't drive in the lot in the right lanes. It was it was just chaos. It felt like so loud and busy. And then the, the, when we were there, we got a massive snowstorm. I don't know if people remember this snowstorm, but if, if you're in New York, you maybe do. It's 1990, I want to say six or five, not five or six. And it shut down the city. Like very rarely the snowstorm shut down. It shut down the city. Like there was no, no travel. The trains weren't running. Like we couldn't get home. And so we ended up sleeping on the floor of, of, of Myung, uh, my ex-wife's sister's floor, uh, for like three days until we finally got this really slow, like moving, crawling train back to uh, back to back to Charlottesville. In fact, we had taken the bus up, which tells you something. Uh, we took the bus up to New York and the buses weren't running anymore. 
And so when we get back, I'm like, if I never have to go to that city again, uh, you know, great. And then guess what? Yeah. Guess where I get drafted? Karma remains so, undefeated, right? <laughs> that's right. Um, and I lived in Jersey City my first year. I was by myself. I had this massive apartment that it just said, I don't know, it just it was right on the water, but not in the city. And then when my uh, my my girlfriend, soon to be wife, came up, we decided to move into the to the city. So we moved to the Upper East Side, uh, which was which was crazy. It was culture shock, as Brandy was talking about. But it was, I mean, I, I'm still saying hi to people. Hey, how you doing? They look at me like, who the hell are you? You know what I mean? Whereas in Virginia, you say that they're like, oh, how you doing? Yeah, you, do I know you? Yeah, where's your family from? Blah blah blah. Um, but I, I I grew to really um, enjoy the the solitude amongst the chaos, if that makes sense, right? You can get lost. See, Ronnie, he's using that big brain on us again. He's using that big brain on us again. No, no, I'm not. But I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a football player, but I don't look like a football player. You know what I mean? I'm five, nine and a half and 200 pounds. I could be anybody. Uh, And at this point I'm not famous. And so it was, it was kind of liberating in a, in a way. And I, and I really enjoyed it. Um, Even though I was scared when I first moved into the city. Do you want to know? You want to know what liberating is, Trey? Yeah. Going up to visit your brother at some point in the middle of his career when he's very popular, getting a couple of libations with your buddy, taking <laughs> one of his jerseys and putting it on and walking down the street, acting like I'm. <laughs> <laughs> how'd, that, how'd that work out? <laughs> no, hold on. Ronnie's an ass. All right. So, so he takes my car. So he's so we're, I live on the Upper East Side. He takes right. my Mercedes and he, he. I don't know where you where you went. But you go somewhere and he's and he runs out of gas and he's blaming me because he ran out of gas. And I'm like, dude, this and he's like, there's no gas stations in New York City. I'm like, there are gas stations in New York City. They're always on the outside. You can find them on the west side or the east side. You can find a gas. station. So he runs out of gas and he's so pissed off that when he gets back, he's like, he takes my jersey and just goes out and walks down the street and acts like. Oh, there's Tiki Barber wearing his own jersey walking down the street. <laughs> that's almost as bad as like going to a concert and wearing the T-shirt of the band that's in the concert, right? That's that's sort of the same thing. Nobody wants to be that guy. Nobody wants to be that's that right. guy. He he made me be that guy in my home upper my home neighborhood on the Upper East Side. It's kind of funny. I kind of respect it actually. So your experience, Rondé, going to Tampa, uh, obviously very southern, and Tampa's. Sort of an inter- I mean, I wouldn't call sure. it a big city. It has sort of a slower pace to it. What was your experience like when you got there, especially under Tony? Yeah, well, Tampa, Tampa I mean, it's, you know, middle market, right? 13 or something, 14. I don't even know what it was that there then, but now it is. What I first realized about Tampa is that nobody's from Tampa. <laughs> you know, so, so it's like me coming into Tampa was just like everybody else coming coming to Tampa. In, in fact, he, he mentioned his wife. I met my wife my first uh, year in Tampa. She had just transplanted here from uh, from Detroit because her parents were retiring just north of where we live now. And um, so there's always this running joke. And, and down here, he's like, oh, where are you from? I'm from Tampa. Oh, you're the one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> coming... Uh, Coming south, obviously, uh, you know, much longer drive for me. I remember getting in my what did I have? I had a Toyota 4Runner. That was the car that I that I that I bought right right after I got drafted. And throwing all my stuff in the back of the car, car driving down, stopped in Atlanta, stayed with a friend, and then took that next I think eight hour drive all the way to Tampa. And I remember thinking the whole time, like, where in the hell am I going? 
because when I got drafted, this is talking about un, un, unknowns here. When I got drafted and I knew who Tony Dungy was, I didn't know he was the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I swear to God, I had no idea who the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was. The only time I had ever seen him was the off chance that they played the Redskins because we were Redskins fans. Uh, we watched football every Sunday, but I never watched him otherwise. I didn't know. I had no idea what was going on in Tampa. So when I got down here, um, it, it was very um, comforting. To be honest with you, it was very. It's a very welcoming town, uh, and it, and I was benefited. To be honest with you by the guys that got drafted with me because uh, Tiki and, and Warwick Dunn had been uh, all ACC that they were, you know, the talk of the talk of our conference. Well, Warwick gets drafted the same year I do. And we end up being roommates. It's a good draft, by the way. That's a pretty yeah. good draft. Yeah. We ended up being roommates for about five or six months because he was building a house. His house got done. I was in a extended stay and he asked me to come, come live with them. And so I did until my house was was done, but I we were roommates for 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 a good long time, and, he, and I'm not saying that Warwick took the place of Tiki, but he gave me somebody else that I was familiar with because I played against him, obviously, and been all all these banks banquets with them the previous couple of years, and so I I felt at home. It, it felt pretty pretty normal to me, and I don't know if people have been to Tampa, but Tampa is a it's quiet. But it's sneaky fun. Yeah. <laughs> There's oh, a lot to do oh, in Tampa. You can have some and, fun in Tampa yeah. if you want to. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. You can have some fun yeah, in that I, town if you so choose. Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I realized that if I would have gone to a place like New York, because my personality is a little bit more outgoing than Tiki's and you know, there's there's some trappings in in, in New York that probably would have got the better of me that <laughs> did not get the better of me here in Tampa. So I'm very thankful for, for being trapped by Tony and Rich McKay here in 1997. And looking around that locker room, when did you realize uh, in Tampa we got some dudes? Like we got some dudes on this squad. Like we got some dudes. Yeah, well, I mean, we, I knew who Derek Brooks was, yeah. right? He got drafted in 95, two years before me. Uh, everybody knew who Warren Sapp was just because of the nature of Warren Sapp. You know, and, uh, you know, you look around the locker room. This was before John. Yeah, this was before John Lynch was John Lynch. Uh, but he had a presence to him to himself. Tiki, you remember Marcus Jones, don't you? Of course, Jake, man. North Carolina, yep. the biggest human being in the world. Like massive. We played played Marcus his last year at Virginia, and I saw this guy, and I was like, "This guy's a, a mountain of a person." He's in a locker room when I get when I get to Tampa. I didn't know he was in Tampa, but he's but he's here, and I'm like, "God, look at this 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 team." And my year, the year I got drafted, uh, we had Allstott on our team. We had drafted Riddell Anthony. That Anthony. Year. Oh, Riddell Anthony. Um, there's a name. We had. But we had dudes. We had Pro Bowl type of players on our team already, and we weren't really a good team. So trying to fit into that mix was was definitely a, a struggle. And I struggled my first year. I didn't play a single snap uh, until week, uh, I think it was nine. Uh, I, I played nickel that game and got beat so bad I didn't play again until the playoffs. So I played one game, one regular season game my first year, and just realized what it was going to take to match up to these personalities and these great players in our locker room. And and to be honest with you, Trey, that 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 little stumble, that little you know hiccup in my at the beginning of my career was motivation that lasted me throughout the rest of my career. Um, and so I, I was fortunate to come into a locker room full of dudes, guys that really understood how to be professionals and play football. 
And, you know, I, I had great coaches. You, you know, you know Herm. We could do a whole show on Herm. Yeah. When I was struggling early in my career, he was always like, you're going to get your chance, man. You're going to get your chance. Just stick with it. Just stick with it. I remember he called me. We played Detroit in the first round of playoffs that year. We beat them. And we were going to Green Bay. And then Nickelback, that, 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 uh, pr the, the prior Nickelback got hurt. And Herm came up to me and said, young man, you've had a great year. You're going to play this week. And I was like, <laughs> right far in the Packers? Are you crazy? <laughs> but I had a good game, yeah. right? And it was, it was, it, it was his confidence in me was a springboard. And then in '98, my my career started to take off a little bit. So I was I was very blessed to be where I ended up. You know, both of you guys went to situations where you played for not one but two really really good head coaches. Obviously, Tony Dungy and then John Gruden, Rondé for you. You walked in with Jim Fossil and then got Tom Coughlin. I mean, that, that's also not a bad run for for a player to have those those kind of coaches. No, I mean, I was I was lucky that I hung on because I started like Rondé. I started right away. Uh, you you remember Trey Rodney Hampton was basically at the end when I got there, and I remember Jim Skipper, my running back coach, said to me, "Teak, you might start if you can figure out this playbook. You're going to start." Obviously, I figured out the playbook because I'm a geek like that, and I ended up starting right away. But I got hurt. It took me four games. I got hurt. I got knocked out against the St. Louis uh, Rams. Uh, Toby Wright knocked me unconscious. The next game, I it was kind of I was kind of I was I was okay, but I was just kind of like it wasn't great. And then I hurt my knee against the Saints on the horrible AstroTurf at the old Meadowlands, and I didn't play for four weeks, five weeks, and then I just kind of waffled, right? And then Jim Fossil said, like he always had faith in me, like Tony Dunsey did in Rondé. He said, "Stop trying to be the starter." Just be the best third down back and the best punt returner in the league. And so that's what I focused on. And I'd catch 75 to, you know, 80 passes a season and, you know, had a bunch of receptions, was good on third downs. And eventually Sean Payton came and changed our offense. And instead of doing, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust running behind Charles Way, we're running Dickham tosses, which is, you know, you know bunch right toss crack scissors so you start out the right side everybody's like you know flowing that way i stick my foot in the ground after three steps i'm going back the other way with my with my tackle now sitting there waiting for the trailers to come knock them out and it just it suited my game and you know in 2000 we go to the super bowl because of that offense ron dane had just been drafted uh, to replace me but we became a thunder good combination and lightning of thunder and lightning yeah that's right but the challenge was you know fossil got fired a couple years later and I was good. I wasn't great. I was good. Coughlin came in and hit the every little detail about my about my game. Every one. And Gerald uh, Gerald Ingram, my running back coach, and I uh, crafted me into the guy who rushed for you know 1,800, and sixteen hundred yards my last three seasons. Uh, this is a crazy stat, Trey. I had as many yards my last three as I did in my first seven. Which is, which is insane. <laughs> yeah. Um, and those last three, obviously, were under Tom Coughlin. So, yeah, I give him a lot of credit for being a great coach. Um, and, of course, the transition for you was to change the way you carried the ball, right? Because we had the fumbling issue. Oh, yeah. And then you went, like, high, three points of contact, right? High and tight. And, and <laughs> it was just – it was like this the whole time. But it worked. Uh, like, hey, you know what that was? Yeah. You, you, you know what that was? So here's the thing. I'll take you – so Thomas George, who wrote for the New York Times, he's, we're at training camp. And at training camp, I would always just hang out. I never wanted to take naps at training camp. I just wanted to hang out. And I'd sit with the media. Like, they wouldn't let the media in for lunch until the players were out. And I would just sit there 
And eventually I was just like, just come in, like, just, just come in and eat. And so I ended up getting tight with a lot of the writers and in, in, uh, the beat writers. And Thomas George comes up to me one day and goes, you got a fumbling problem. I was like, the hell with you, I don't have a fumbling problem. He's like, look at the numbers. I was like, dude, I do have a fumbling problem. <laughs> but I, but I didn't, I didn't, so <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know how to fix it. Yeah. Right. It's like, hold it tighter. Like, hold, like, like it was, it was just, I don't know. It's just like this like, I don't know, this random fix that people think can happen until Gerald Ingram said it's mechanical. It has nothing to do with how hard you hold the football. It's all mechanical. Uh, Tom Coughlin's got teeth. You got to keep it high and tight. And Gerald Ingram was like, here's what high and tight actually means. It means having the ball with three points of contact, your fingers, obviously, your your forearm, and then most importantly, against your body. So the ball's got to be high and tight and your elbow's got to be against your body. And then the last component was when you go into contact, like you feel a guy coming to just swipe at you, cover, cover yourself, off ball hand, on ball wrist, just cover yourself. So you get into this like little ball like this. You go through contact like this, which allows you to bust through. You keep running. It changes your running cadence a little bit, but it actually makes you more efficient as a runner. And so all of a sudden, like just this little change turned me into this explosive, like compact runner who was all of a sudden breaking big plays and never being a liability. And, you know, I, I it, it changed my career, changed the trajectory of my career. But the reason I never took it away from here, because when I'm wide open, I could just run however I want it. But I always kept it here because Coughlin would be like, high and tight. Every time we're running ball, high and tight. And I'm like, all right, well, fuck you. You want it high and tight? It's going to be high and tight, right? <laughs> high and tight and this, man. Kind of gets... <laughs> exactly. So I got stuck up there. And it's just how I finished my career. And I just, people still talk about it. The funny thing is we used to work out my last couple, his last couple of years. Uh, I used to go up and work out with him uh, at uh, this guy, Joe Carini's gym, right? And, and Yeah, may he rest in peace. He just passed away. Recently. But the funny thing is we'd, do, we'd be throwing all this weight around. But then Tiki would get on the treadmill and he'd get a damn football. <laughs> and it would be sitting like this while he's <laughs> sprinting on the treadmill. With the football. Like, with the football. Whoa are you doing right now are yeah. you actually running high and tight on a yep. treadmill right now and he was learn behavior okay right learn behavior that's your process yeah. that's your hey, process hey, trey yeah trey and this is this is this is this is this is success in anything but success is intentional right it doesn't just happen by accident like people who have do great things in life it's not because oh you were lucky in the right place no no, you prepared for it. You luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Yeah, that's the cliche, but it's really an it intentionality on being successful. Correct. You know what I mean? You ask yeah. anybody who has been they they can they can walk the path that led to their success. It wasn't like oh, I just kind of met this guy and oh, you know this. It's it's it, you have to think that way. And so that it, it, that's what it was for me. Well, I love that because Case Keenum, when he had to play for Baker Mayfield this past season, was asked a question after he had a short week. It was a Thursday, and he came in and won. And said they asked him, uh, "How did you get ready?" And his response was, "You don't have to get ready if you stay ready," which is sort of the same thing. Right? Yeah. Put, put yourself <laughs> yeah, in that in that mentality that this is what's going to happen, and I'm going to meet that opportunity. Um, everyone talks about the Super Bowl being the biggest thing in the world, and obviously, Rondé, you guys destroyed. Uh, the the Raiders in that game, forty eight twenty one. What was that like for you? What was was it? What everyone built it up to be in your mind, or or how did it all play out? The Super Bowl, to be honest with you, was well. I'll take you back. So we go to the NFC Championship game in nineteen ninety nine. Remember, we played the greatest show on turf. Yeah, lose eleven, 11 to six. Eleven to six. Whatever. It was a five point loss to a team that everybody anticipated putting up 
you know, 30, 40 points every single week. Our, our defense felt like it was good enough to win a Super Bowl from that year on. And then it was three years later until we were actually in the Super Bowl. We kept hitting the same speed bump. We kept losing to Philly. You know, we, we, we go to the playoffs, lose first round to Philly. Next year, go to the playoffs, lose first round to Philly. It, it was it's what essentially precipitated Tony uh, Dungy getting fired and bringing in John Gruden. So there was a cer- certain accountability that was very visible on defense to the way that we play. We were top 10 defense for about 10 years in, in the NFL, which is unheard of. It's unprecedented. Um, but it really wasn't the same type of feeling on offense. And what John gave us was that, that same feeling on offense. Like we're going to go put up great numbers and score a bunch of touchdowns. Now in reality, our numbers weren't any better in uh, John's first year of the year that we won the Super Correct. Bowl than they were in Tony's last Correct. year on offense. That's, yeah, but, but, the, but the intentionality was there, bouncing back to what Tiki was saying. And, and so there was, a, there was a certain bar that needed to be raised. And even though we were really good on defense, we knew our bar needed to be raised even higher. I remember John came in and challenged us that year, and he said, yeah, it's little known what he told us. He, obviously, he came in, everybody said this, we're going to win a Super Bowl this year, blah, blah, blah. Everybody says it every year. But he challenged us. He said, if we get nine scores on defense this year, we're going to win a Super Bowl, right? At the, end of the, at the end of the Super Bowl, Derek Brooks picks off Rich Gannon. Uh, we're playing cover two. We're playing our base, simple-ass cover two. They're trying to get back in. His offense is perfect for the, the, this defense that we're playing. He picks it off. He goes and scores. It's our ninth touchdown of the year on defense. It, it, you know, people don't really correlate that, but to us, it was very, very significant. Now, to answer your question about winning the Super Bowl, it was boring as hell. <laughs> <laughs> we we – we knew after yeah. we went to Philly in the NFC Championship game the week before, there was no bye week that year. We played the NFC Championship the week before. We knew that after we beat Philly, in Philly, closed down the vet, that we were Super Bowl champions. There, there wasn't a team that was going to beat us. We, we crossed our hurdle. We, 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 we conquered our, 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 our adversary. And whoever was next was just, just a stepping stone for us finally getting our, our championship. And, and I know it's somewhat, it sounds, you know, prophetic or whatever. Everybody thinks that, you know, it's a team of destiny. Well, in our minds, it was, that was our destiny. And once we beat Philly, we knew that we were going to win the Super Bowl, and we did. And, uh, you know, I was watching a halftime show at uh, in the locker room at halftime because it really wasn't that much of a game. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was by the halftime, I think everybody knew where that one was headed. How much pride do you, Tiki, take from a twin perspective seeing him get the ring? It was amazing. And there's a backstory to this as well. So that was also the year that my New York Giants had one of the worst playoff losses in in playoff history. We went to San Francisco. We were up by 24. Trey Junkin. In that game. And they stormed back because we decided to play man on Terrell Owens the entire second half. And God bless Jason Seahorn. You just couldn't keep up. And, um, and you know, ultimately – they beat us, but my manager, our collective manager, left me a voicemail in the middle of that game, and I heard it after the game, obviously. Trey Drunken dribbles it back. He'd been there for a cup of coffee. They don't call the pass interference on Rick Soyberg, who checked in as an eligible tight end, whatever. Um, All of these things are accurate. Mark Lepselter left the message on my phone, like, this is awesome. You guys are going to be playing oh, your no. brother in the divisional no. round of the play. Oh, it's no. going to be, I can't wait. It's going to be great. 
Dude, I, yeah. I, I almost didn't forgive him ever. Yeah. <laughs> Just that. Right. So, I mean, we're out of the postseason. And for, for now, now I'm a spectator. And so I'm down in Tampa um, watching the, the 49ers. I'm on the sideline um, watching the 49ers take on the Bucks, And I knew they, the 49ers didn't have a chance. Rondé gets a pick takes it back to the house and I'm standing right there. I'm just like, Oh, it was awesome. It got called back as a penalty, but whatever. Unnecessary roughness as I That's was right. going into the end zone. Like, That's right. Really? Yeah. And then the following week I was in Philadelphia, which, which has created a, a talking point for me, Trey, that I will always use always. So I'm at that game. I remember I had this like Brown trench coat on. It was freezing, like utterly freezing. I'm also on the sideline. Why they let me on the sideline, I don't know. But I'm on the sideline you're, in Philadelphia. You're safer there than in the sta- in the state. I, I definitely was safer there. <laughs> and you know, I see I see this play because like we remember how this thing transpired. The Bucks got about to a big lead. Joe Jervicius has a touchdown, but all of a sudden Philly's like Philly's like they're starting to like feel it. They're starting to come back. Right, Dominic Nath has this bomb that they throw down the field. They're within a, a score and a half, and it's like. All right, here come the Eagles. The crowd is going insane. Like, fly, Eagle, look, we got fly. And then all of a sudden, it's like you can hear a pin drop because Donovan Nag gets fooled thinking Rondé's coming off the edge. Uh, and he's instead, he, Rondé's just playing cover two, I think. He's just dropping into his zone. Donovan doesn't see him. He picks it, goes 92 yards for a touchdown. And again, I'm just standing there like, oh, this is amazing. And so now, here's, I get, I get asked often. Teak, Philadelphia fans, man, I hated you. Uh, you know, I respected you because you, you're so good, but man, I hated you. And I always say, I promise you, you hate my brother more. <laughs> and they think about it for half a second, and they're like, yeah, you know what? You're right. You're, yeah. you're all right, man. Your brother, though? Yeah. <laughs> Get him. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, Ronnie had told me, leading into the Super Bowl, was out in, in San Diego. I stayed in Los Angeles. I was like, what's this game going to be like? He's like, we practice against every single play we know we're going to see. And so it was a little bit anticlimactic, as he mentioned. But I remember being there, getting down on the field, and just – I felt as much joy as he did. You know, it's, it's so much pride to see someone who's basically the same zygote as me uh, winning a Super Bowl. So it's just – I mean, it was awesome. Trey, there's a funny picture. It's not funny. It's a Super Bowl picture in our in our facility at One Buck Place. And it's, you know, it's it's an overhead camera shooting down at the crowd, all the people that were on the field. And in the right hand corner, there's this dude wearing a visa hat and he looks exactly like me. <laughs> <laughs> he just oh, yeah. walk, he had a different pass. He had a different pass to get on the field. Every time I walked by that picture, I was like, look, Tiki's in this picture. And they're like, where? Where? That's right. And by the way, yeah. I wore that visa hat because Rondi and I had done a visa commercial that year it was yeah. for the visa check card is when they first put the pic your picture on the card and there was yeah. this little there was this girl that was the teller at this flower shop that ronnie and i went to which by the way that girl lived in the building next to me on the upper east side <laughs> it's crazy yeah it's, it's crazy as that is yeah. but anyways she was looking at the the check card going well it looks like you but it could be you it's something and so but they made it into a super bowl commercial so they she they changed it when Rondé and the Bucks got in the Super Bowl to well it looks like you but it could be you where you're playing in the Super Bowl and you're not <laughs> it was it was kind of awesome how they adapted that it was cool that's great all right why don't we take our second break and when we'll come back with the Barbers we'll talk about 
some interesting things in a rapid fire way. That's next with the Tiki Barber and Ronnie Barber. Stay with us. So it's championship week, which as we all know means March is about to get a little madder. Let's jump into the odds with Trey's Trends, brought to you by Caesar Sportsbook, which allows you to get in on all the action with odds available for every game, as well as future odds for two dozen men's conference tournament championships. Sure to draw plenty of attention this week, obviously is the ACC championship, the last one for Duke head coach Mike Krzyzewski. The Blue Devils, as you might expect, are the overwhelming favorites to win the ACC tourney at minus 125, something they have done 15 times under Coach K, most recently in 2019. Now, North Carolina, which spoiled Coach K's Cameron farewell on Saturday, has the second lowest odds at plus 550. Behind the Tar Heels are Virginia Tech at 900, and then Notre Dame and Wake Forest at plus 1,000. But something to consider here, losing the conference tournament isn't necessarily a bad thing in the long run. Just one conference tournament champion has emerged as the national champ in the previous seven years. That would be Villanova back in 2018. In fact, the last two national champs, Baylor in 2021 and Virginia in 2019, lost in the semifinals of their respective conference tournaments. Find more of Trey's trends, of course you know where, at Caesar Sports on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. All right, back with Tiki and Rondé Barber on Half Forgotten History. Okay, let's all assume that the Mannings are the greatest brothers in NFL history with all that Peyton and, and Eli have accomplished. Are you guys the best twins in NFL history? Because I'm looking at other ones. I got the Pounceys. I've got the McCordies, you know? Well, I think if you look at I don't want to be cocky, yeah. but... Go ahead and be cocky, Tiki. Rondé's an all-timer in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I have the all-time leading rushing record for the New York Giants. So good enough for me. Relative to the places that we played at, I think, I think, yeah, you have to say that. <laughs> but I, but it is a blessing, though. To think of just when you think about it, um, I, I, I think the McCordys are also identical. I don't know if the Griffins are, are identical or not, the but McCordy's identical. Definitely are. Yeah, you can they tell are. them apart. But the McCordys definitely are. Yeah. But to have identical twins, right, an egg is fertilized, it divides unnaturally into two, both survive implanted in the in the in the in the womb of a of a mom, and both are born, and then both both come out and they both turn into athletes. They're both smart like like the fact like how that happens is it's rare. It's so rare and random in a sense. Um so I, I don't remember what my point was, but <laughs> Like I, I, I seriously, I, but it's just, it's just, I, I marvel at it. Yeah. Like the you fact just, that we both made it. You know what I mean? You just want to, you just want to tell everybody how smart you are. Well, no, see, I see, he, I, he I knew that. Think about that. He knew that because he knows where <laughs> the next question's going, right? Because he knew, Uh-oh. okay, this is going to be the big brain. Because the next question is going to be, and listen, as we're taping this, it's still to be decided. I believe it's eventually going to happen. Um, what would it mean for you, Rondé? to be in, inducted into the Hall of Fame. And then Tiki, after he answers, what would it mean for you to have him in the Hall? Yeah, yeah um, it'll happen at some point. I don't know if it'll be this year or next year or the year after. I, I, don't, I don't know. I guess I got to find a, I gotta find a good way to, to understand how the sausage is made and how <laughs> someone with the, with the career that I have is <laughs> yet to be really considered to go in. But it'll, it'll happen. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not doubting that because um, I – I shouldn't be there, right? I'm a 
small five nine and a half, hundred and eighty pound corner that at the beginning of my career everybody wanted to replace me. I mean, not just you know local media. Uh, it was people within the team. They thought I wasn't good enough, and so my story is a success story. And then not having just made it, but then thrived and really done unprecedented things. I don't want to say that I feel like I deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, but I I like to see somebody that matches my resume. So when I do get there, because I know where I came from, never having been the star ever at, at any level, part, I mean, part of that high school and college because of that dude right there. But uh, even, even in Tampa, I played on a team that already has now three Hall of Famers on it. So it was easy for me and my accomplishments to be overlooked and to be just another guy in the, in the, in the system. But in, in reality, I know what I did. I, I, I intentionally made myself into the player that I was. And then there's nobody that's ever come close to doing what I've done. And I don't think that there ever will be. If there's one, it's Charles Woodson. And he was the first ballot Hall of Famer. And I've been waiting for five years. So when I do get in, and I hope it's sooner rather than later, um, it, 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 I don't think it'll be a relief. It'll be, it'll be a sense of vindication. Uh, yeah. Well, no, it'll be a sense of I told you so. Yeah. You know what? I, I shouldn't be here, but I told you I would be, and here I am. So I, that's that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. And I'm and I'm trust me, I'm I'm a humble humble. Uh, uh, humble athlete in the sense that I understand it is a very select hall. It is not very many people in the pro football hall of fame. The numbers are the numbers at this point. Yeah. But I think when you me measure my accomplishments with the people that are my peers, I, I, I think, I, I think I measure up pretty fair. And Tiki, we'll let you have the last word here. Yeah. On Rondé in particular, um, I, I couldn't be more proud of my twin. Look, I, I know that getting into the Hall of Fame is often about a narrative more than anything. And um, Rondé's story is fantastic. And when that happens, because I know it's going to happen, uh, I'm going to be right there beside him like I've been beside him every step of the way. And just like he's been beside me every step of the way. And I can't wait for it for that day. Um, you know, who knows when it when it when it ultimately transpires. But I know that Geraldine Barber our mother, who called us before every single game um, and said, play proud, who had a double mastectomy on a Saturday and was at our game the next Saturday, despite being advised not to, will will cry her eyes out and know that she, you know, she produced two great boys. And, you know, that's that's what's going to stick with me. Well, guys, this has been an unbelievable episode. It was great to get both of you on at the same time. And I'm glad we could work around Rondé's busy golf schedule. So more than anything else, that was more cold outside. That was more cold important. outside. Cold. You don't know from cold. cold. Talk to Tiki like, like you don't yeah. already. You talk to Tiki about cold. But anyway, both of you guys. It's 11 degrees. Yeah. Thank you so much for the time and uh, continued success with both of you. And really appreciate it. Thank you, Trey. Thank you, Trey. Appreciate you having us. So once again, thanks to Tiki and Rondé for sharing their time together. Uh, hopefully sooner rather than later, Rondé will get his just reward, a gold jacket that goes to being a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And speaking of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, our next guest resides in Canton, Ohio, but it was a long journey for him to get there. He had to go to Canada to prove he could play quarterback simply because 
of the color of his skin. But when he showed up in the NFL, not only did he throw one of the prettiest spirals you'll ever see, he also paved the way for so many black quarterbacks that are now starting around the NFL, and it's not just a thing anymore. I'm talking about, of course, Hall of Famer Warren Moon. That's next week's guest on Half Forgotten History. We'll see you then. Yeah.